My brother had a bug where he took out the back seat and had a speaker box with two 18s. And like, I used to have to ride to school with him and his boy would be in the front seat and I would be sitting on the stump between the two speakers with my plugging my ears. That's ridiculous. You know, like MCADE, how much bass can you take? The bass would rattle my lungs. Yeah. You know, and, and like, and that's, that's like what I grew up on. Um, here I am. Like, you're a great writer, but no one knows what the fuck you're talking about, you know? <laughs> Just because it's simple doesn't mean it has to be stupid. It's really weird because I'm not really speaking to you in front of me. But I have to think of you in front of me because if I don't, then I won't be able to speak to you. How you doing? Forget about it. My mother doesn't give me the job. You fucking monkey out there. You little prick. me walking out my front door and onto the streets for the first time in several days. <clears throat> I'm feeling much better. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I've, I've been sick ever since I got off the plane back from the tour I just did with Astronautilus and Bluebird, my guests today. Uh, I caught something. I don't know what. I, I, I don't know what the difference is between a flu and a cold. But I had either some sort of really bad cold or a minor flu. If you know the difference, you can tweet that at me, at, at Yoni Wolf on Twitter, and let me know what... What is the, the, the actual difference? They're both viruses. Uh, they're both, you know, they both can be many different strains of, of viruses. So I don't know what the, what the class delineation is there. It's sunny out. It was deceptively beautiful because when I actually came out, it's a bit bitter, bitter cold. Not, not, I don't, not, not bitter, bitter, but, but it's, it's, it's cold enough to be a bit of a discomfort uh, out here. But I'm taking a little walk. I gotta take get a little get a little fresh air because it's it's been some days where I've just really been at the house. I have watched so much Netflix. It's crazy. Great stuff, some great series, whole series in a day, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and some terrible stuff as well. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, this is one of these part cycles in life. This is what happens. Um, and it, and it tells you that you need to take her easy for a minute. And then there are other times where I feel strong as an ox, you know, and I'm meant to just get out there and be, uh, sort of bullying nature in the world. Harmonically, of course. Ooh, feel that cold air down the lungs. That's that's a new that's a new thing. Well, Florida was great. I think I spoke to you uh, from there last time, and uh, yeah, that was it. Was a good time. I, I have to start now planning my next 
trip to somewhere warm. And I'm thinking I'll do that in February or March. That's the thing. It keeps shifting as the time shifts and as all the the, uh, Airbnb, as they start to book up. And as the flights start to get more expensive, you move on to the next month. And uh, next thing you know, you're in beautiful spring and you might as well just stay in Cincinnati. This is how people get stuck here. This is how people get stuck here. But you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go somewhere. And if I don't, I don't. I mean, it's not a big deal. My main, I really just want to get back to work uh, and be, back into a routine and writing and producing. You know, that's that's really what my main goal is right now is to just is find a way back into that. That's that's always been my main struggle I think is is to find my way into routine. Once I'm in, I'm pretty good at staying in, but I fall out real easy. Wait, that contradicted itself. I it, 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 yeah, I can stay in pretty good, but 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 I get jumped out, of course, by just life occurrences, you know. Uh, tours, traveling, the holidays, you know, family. How's the holidays for you guys? How is it? How has it been? <clears throat> We're hitting New Year's now. Mine was good, but you know, I mean, it's it's always well. I didn't do much. I was just, like I said, I was laid up. I was laid up in the bedroom watching Netflix and uh, couldn't really get out. But when I did get out and I I did some family hangs, uh, you know, it was good. It was good. Yesterday, went over to uh, my parents' house with my siblings and their their respective loved ones. I'm, I'm the only one that doesn't ever bring anyone home to mom and dad. It's, is that sad? I don't know. It is what it is. It's always like everyone and their partner and then Yoni. One day, one day I'll have that. But, you know, whatever. No big deal. No big whoop. <coughs> so, it's nice, but it's, of course, the dynamics always revert in a way to the way they were when I was a kid in some weird way. Like, I stopped talking very much. I kind of keep quiet and... I don't know. It's it's it, it is a strange thing. Uh, the fam the like the full family dynamic, and of course, when my generation starts having kids and stuff, those families will have their own dynamics too. You know, it's interesting. Well, my guests today, uh, I just spent a week with down south. And uh, they're great dudes. And, and this is a great episode. I, I just listened to it yesterday, went through it, and edited it. I didn't really edit it at all. But um, it's just a great talk. I mean, the thing is, when you get some guys like this together, you just, you can just guarantee it's going to be a great episode. These are rappers. These are guys that know how to talk and be interesting. They're paid to do that. And they, you know, they know how to tell a story. So 
It's definitely definitely a good episode and, and a good talk. And I got to learn a lot about uh, both of these guys. You know, Astronautilus, I had already... He was like episode three or four on the podcast. He was on the tour with me when I first started doing the podcast, actually. Um, so... He's an he's a a, a re a re guest. Uh, Bluebird is on for the first time, so I did get to know him during this this episode and his history and stuff like that. So you'll be interested in that. And I actually just got to know him on this trip because I, I actually had met him like two or three times before that, but we had never actually spent time. So yeah, these guys these are just fun dudes, really fun dudes. And uh, very warm, warm gentleman. Yeah, I already feel like being back here. I, I like need to plan an escape. I was just watching. It seemed apropos to watch this like prison show, uh, narrated by Thurston Moore. Weirdly enough, something from National Geographic that was on uh, Netflix. I I don't know why I was drawn to watch that, but I guess I had, I had this. I guess because I've been stuck in my bedroom for the last several days and it just felt that, you know, obviously it's not prison, but just that confinement. And um, I do feel the need to plan some kind of escape now and to go, go somewhere warm. That's what winter does to me. But, you know, I need to get into it. When I'm healthy, when I'm fresh, it can be all right. You come out, especially if it's sunny, it's hard in the darkness. We all know that. The TheWanderingWolfPodcast.com. You guys can go there and grab something uh, for yourself. Uh, buy a shirt, buy a tape. Uh, now, those of you that bought tapes, uh, the Snow Jams tapes, I have not sent out my international orders yet, but I will. Um, actually, probably by the time you hear this, I will have gotten it together to send those out or will be sending them out in the next day. Um it, it, why I have not is it's it's more difficult than than uh, the domestics. The domestics I can print off at home. The international I haven't actually figured out how I can do it yet, but I tried and I and it's way more expensive than I'm charging you guys for. So be happy with that. <clears throat> hey, what's hey. Up? <laughs> what's up? How you doing? Sorry, I'm just doing my <laughs> podcast intro. Oh really? It, yeah. Good to see you. Have, have a good afternoon. You too. Um, sorry, I just ran into a friend there. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, it, but anyway, that's no problem. That's my fault. That's my fault for not looking that up before I, uh, made, made my judgments on what to charge you. But I'll get those out. I just have to figure out how to do it. It shouldn't be too hard. And the, the rest of my domestics, I'll get you out as well. Don't worry. You get your tapes. You get your tapes out in the world. And the shirts are coming from my friend's shop. Those, those, should be, those are sent out pronto. As soon as you buy them, they go out, basically. They're professional. I'm professional, too, but this is new for me. That's all. I promise you next time it's going to be a lot smoother and a lot faster. But I was out of town as well. you gotta think, You got to realize that. Like There was no way for me to send things out when I was on tour. So... Um, and I think I explained that hopefully in the thing. Anyway, goodness gracious, those of you that, that didn't buy tapes, you don't give a fuck. So let's go on and get into this conversation with Astronautilus and Bluebird. 
Here we are in uh, this this uh, Jeep. Yeah. It's a Jeep. I'm sitting here with Astronautilus on my left and in the front driving, and Bluebird on my right and not driving in the passenger seat. Eating almonds. Eating almonds. I saw that. That was this big spike in, in volume when you. That was a good crunch. That's raw almonds, man. Very yeah. good. Raw almonds. So, uh, well, we were just talking. I, I, I turned this on. We were just talking about um, Andy. Andy's astronauts is his branding, and then not to get to this is business. This is very business. Yeah, it's is that business. bad to talk about? Nah, man, I don't think so. I think that it's. Um, I think that it. I wish more people would talk about it. I wish more people. I wish more artists would talk about it and not be so scared of it. Like listen and learn. Yeah, and I, but I also think that like <clears throat> it would make. I think. Listeners don't often understand, like, there's still this, like, aggression towards, like, artists that are business savvy, I think, sometimes, like, sellout kind of mentality that's still sort of held residually. And I think that just stems from the fact that most um, fans of music don't understand what the reality of a musician's life is. Like, I think... <clears throat> We're basically traveling salesmen that, that sang a few songs. Yeah, yeah, and I, th I, th I think, too, like, a lot of people probably would look at someone like like you with your level of success or, or, or any of us with our level of success like we go to tour Europe like and I think there are people that probably think like oh we've got it made like we're fine right like and they, they, they think like because we play for even like you know 150 people a night like they think like oh well that's you, you're, you're doing great like right, and they right. don't understand that like that's just not how it works constant so, hustle yeah and I, and I think that I, I wish that more people I wish the the business aspects of, of music were a little bit more open to the audiences because I think the audiences would have more appreciation of the amount of work that goes into it. That it's, you know, for especially for people that are sort of kind of like hustling in the middle class like we all are of music, like it's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, it is. And so you, you said you, you've kind of been getting your brand together, your branding together over the last couple of years, like in terms of like how, how the outside world sees you. Is that is that what that means? Yeah, well, I guess understanding like, and it was not like a calculated thing. It wasn't like I need to get my branding together. It was like one day all of a sudden I realized like, oh, this is what like. This my, is what I am. This is what my brand is. Right. And it was something that emerged like naturally out of just watching what people latched onto with my last record and the way I tour and the sort of things that I put out into the public, like, you know, it, and it, it is, it is me, like, it's just me, but it's me sort of, like, condensed and filtered and, you know, po you put a little polish on it. There know? are many aspects to you as a person, you know, in your body and in your spirit and soul and all that stuff. You, obviously, you're, you choose a certain part of you you want to reveal to the world. Yeah. And, and that's it, what your branding is, I suppose. Yeah, and you, and I, you want to put... It's not always even necessarily about putting your best foot forward. It's about putting the foot forward that you want people to see. Um, and, like, I mean, one of the things that's always been really interesting to me about your work is that, like, you're not necessarily in your music. You're not putting your best foot forward. You're putting your, like, you're putting your warts and all out there. Which is I, really, I haven't always had a good foot. Yeah, no, and, like, that's, <laughs> yeah, totally. Sometimes you, foot forward. You, you put <laughs> yeah. your club foot forward, totally. And, like, uh, and... Whereas, like, by contrast, I think maybe I tend to put my best foot forward, even when I am being the, the most revealing on on my songs or whatever. Um, and I think, like, that's... You still try to paint yourself in a light that you feel is is a good, a good light. There's still... A, even when I'm talking kind of, like, about my problems and about how messy I am, there's still a, a poetic... Like, just in the nature of the, the sound of my music, 
my use of language. Right. Like there is a there is a poetic kind of romance. Um, romance. Like yeah, there's like a that's this, true. You romanticize things. Yeah, you do. totally. You do. Even I, re- I even romanticize failure. Like and, everything. Yeah, is romantic. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so like I am an optimist and an idealist, and I romanticize the the best and the worst of the shit. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Whereas maybe I've tended to do the opposite. Yeah, yeah I think you yeah. do. Yeah, you put the magnifying glass on which the table. Which I'm, I'm trying to 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 switch more towards, not necessarily idealizing, but but more towards op- optimism. You know, that's sort of what I where I'm at now, and they're just thinking in a more optimistic light. But one of the things that's like interesting with what uh, Jacques Bluebird has been doing with this stuff is I feel like you've been like you sort of had this um, similar kind of like poetic life and language in your work for a really long time and in the last like two years when you've been making all this like Death Jam Miami based like Young Lauderdale stuff I feel like you've been really tapping into your like blood and guts like yeah but I was like rather than put my best foot forward I was just putting my face through the glass at all times <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of just a head first all in kind of guy and you know I was talking to Yoni about it this morning on the beach like <clears throat> I've never been very business savvy wait 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 say that one more time yes, talking to Yoni about it where were you talking to him about it on the beach that's right <laughs> that's right y'all we was we lamping are, on the beach in we the were sand. in Jacksonville Beach where we are on our way to Tampa uh, Orlando. Orlando right now yeah just checking out all the jellyfish caught in the tide pool you know searching for sharks teeth beautiful talking about the golden era yes <laughs> Well, but, uh, I, I want to go back into that with you, man. Yeah. Um, but, but like, I was, you know, and admittedly, and I know that it hurt me, but, you know, of course I would never go back because, you know, <laughs> I've done some amazing things and I'm happy with them and, you know, celebrate your failures, but I was never very business savvy and I've uh, always throughout the years looked to Andy um, just because of how well put together everything was and, uh, you know, it's been a huge inspiration. And, uh, you know, like in these past couple of years when I've been like working on new music and, and trying to make something new and different, that's actually just like turning back to my roots, you know, like my Florida roots. Um, it's just like, I'm trying to make a better effort to, uh, be more focused in my output. Okay. You know? In uh, in what I'm putting out there and how I'm putting it out there. And, which, uh, which means what in terms of actually practically what it sounds like or or, or yeah, what? yeah. As far as like business savvy and branding, and you know, like I really never thought about that kind of stuff. I just kind of, you know, ever since two thousand and two or ever since ninety nine, I just kind of like made it and put it out there. And if I just like I caught an upward stream, I would just ride it until it crashed. And I've then, never you know, thought about find that something stuff else. either. To be honest, no. I mean, you know, I never, I never put much thought into it because I was more on the artistic side. But you know, in this day and age, like that's just not reality. Right. Well, I think that you know? for the longest time too, and we're because of the age that we were from, we came from an era when thinking about that stuff was not cool. Absolutely. That's right. I still feel guilty when I start to think in those terms or or, or even when I think in in terms of like, I I, I was realizing this the other day because I I, I took a hit of weed and then I walked outside and it was bright out and then I started to feel (laughs) proud of myself. This is weird, but (laughs) I I didn't think I would ever say this to anybody. But but I yeah I took a hit of pot walked outside it was sunny I felt this this wave of pride about myself and my accomplishments and what I'd done uh, in my life so far and then I felt guilty about that pride. <laughs> <laughs> There's then, nothing wrong with being self-aware. And then man. I said, "No, wait a second. Now wait a second. You, you know, this is this is the root of my problem that that guilt exists about about being proud that 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 uh, or being you know just 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 enjoying myself as a person and, and feeling satisfied with with who I am. 
that should that should be how I feel. Well, anyway, it should be a prior, like it's like uh, two years ago, the end of 2012 was 2012 was like my most like that was a big leap in my career. That was a really like kind of banner year for me, getting like amazing tours, really like really starting to make money on tours, really starting to draw out good crowds, and it was the most that we toured and. Brock and I, Brock, who's my manager, Hart from Larry, um, we like pushed ourselves really hard, pushed up my band really hard, and by the end of it, like we were on this tour with Bus Driver and Jail, and really like a tour we didn't need to do, but it was one of those things that was like, you know, that, that hot, you go, oh, well, we haven't played Vancouver in a while, we should hit Vancouver, let's make a two week Canadian run out of right. in Vancouver, and then we'll go down with San Francisco, and it'll be, you know, we'll go, oh, we, we get to Denver, and like we almost died like three times because of like just snow on the mountains and just insane, and the like, shows got canceled, and everyone's sick, no one hated each other, and like after that it was like kind of like pushed to the edge, like that was too much, that was too much, and like right. I love touring, I tour so hard, and I love it, but at the end of the day, like, you gotta take it a little bit easier, yeah, and there was this sort of like, you know, Brock and I like, we didn't talk for a month which is sort of insane and really like cooled our heels for a stretch and then kind of came back to this like and and talked about a lot of stuff and a lot and the core of a lot of things was like taking the time to appreciate what we've accomplished like the, and enjoy it like not yeah. just like not just appreciate it like dang we did we've done a lot we've come a long way baby but like actually like go look we've because of what we've achieved we've afforded the opportunity to maybe focus a little bit more on our mental health maybe focus right. a little bit more on like just ha- doing things for fun and not always taking like every show just because you think like well we could always you know build more in you know Edmonton you know like, right, you know, like sure. in- instead just like be- being okay with being proud and being okay with being content and like, saying no yeah like no. I've had to really make like a, uh, a serious effort to like learn how to say no right because I always see I always saw it as like oh that's an opportunity do everything whether I'm gonna can. lose money or you know it's not gonna be the best for my health or my mental health you know it's just like yeah. nope go do it like when like Andy and I's first tours when it was just you know him and I and Harpoon Larry and Reraj in the element I know that wasn't your first tour or my first tour I mean our first so tours together, together yeah. I mean we went through some like amazingly rough shitty times like every excuse in the book from the venue burnt down the day before we got there to the promoter like the show finished and the promoter forgot to hire a door guy so sorry guys there's no door money right you know and like oh sorry I have a rabid dog and bed bugs you guys can like sleep in the yard but the raccoons are gonna rape you you know I mean there was times on tour where I remember that we were sick you and I were sick as fuck and like spent our merch money from the night before to like split a bottle of Dayquil to like sip on in the back of the car with like 103 fever and still playing shows you know not even canceling shows just because like you know we refused to like let it get the better same here like I've played so many shows sick as fuck it it takes so much to skip a show oh man yeah I mean I gotta like I played shows with broken ribs yeah yeah I played a show the day after I got surgery on my hand and still had a my left nut was gigantic because of mumps. Did you wear tight pants though? No, I, I wore some umbros. Yeah, little, little umbros actually. Yeah, yeah. Some under, some 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 free balling umbros. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but so yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you. You do got to learn when when it's time to uh, to let up a little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes that just just that that endless push doesn't. You know, it's like it's like trying to run in water. Sometimes if you know you got to better to better to to hop into that jet stream you know what i'm saying where it's yeah but it's it's a big leap from like 
uh, like growing growing up into uh, you know dare I say a music career like I always like to compare it to like this beast that like controls your life you know it's like this driving force that has power over relationships has power over living situations but to like to get to the point where you're just kind of like trying to control this beast and follow it around to the point where you can like straddle it and begin to steer it in the in the direction that that you want it to go right and not just kind of like ride it for what it is and where it wants to go like that's a huge leap and like personally i haven't really gotten there yet you know i mean right. it's, been, it's just it's been, been about making 15, records 20 years and, and like, hoping it was good and, well, yeah I, you know that idea too like there's a there's a funny romance that we especially people from our generation and earlier have of like putting in that work on the road like it's okay to like kill yourself putting in the work on the road but it's not like it's which is a business it's a business move but it's not okay to kill yourself putting in work on like your branding your like company's identity like your your artist identity like that's not that's not real work right like that's sellout scum I, I don't work. think the younger generations share that no they do not about it. and that's amazing like, but they yeah. also they also don't share that like workhorse road mentality they, like, not, they right. don't know it man you like drop a single and you're your video goes viral and you're getting bookings that like right. dudes who've been playing on the road for six, seven years can't Right, get they booked, work you know? on their like YouTube game or something. SoundCloud, SoundCloud, yeah. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. That's that new game. Yeah, it's just, already old. You know? Yeah, SoundCloud is already fading, which is insane because I'm just now catching up to it. Is it fading? Like, right, if you guys are listening to this on SoundCloud, jump over to iTunes right now. <laughs> go ahead and subscribe download this. to the podcast. Subscribe right to the podcast on iTunes. No, like we were having, Andy and I were having this discussion the other day that like, you know, the labels have already scoured SoundCloud for like the 17 year old producers right. that, that are making heaters in their room you know yeah. and they're already like signing them to deals and right. you know they're trying to charge a G a beat and they haven't even done shit well and that's right. like that funny thing like you'll find someone you know you'll find some produ- like you know some beat maker that you really think is oh this dude's so hot and he'll have like a thousand people following him on Facebook and like 500 people following him on Twitter and he'll go to his SoundCloud and have 100,000 people following him interesting yeah. it's its own community yeah and, and no one like this whole community of people like kids are just this is how kids learn about music and Jacques made a really good point about like it's the same sort of like music like digging culture that we came up in of like where we would go to the record store right. and look at covers and look at labels and look at like you know this or guy working this guy com if you guys yeah. did that A-tack. yeah oh, for man. sure and like it's but now for this newer generation it's SoundCloud you go there and you just like scour through it and you be like oh have you heard this oh have you heard this like and it's a way easier and more like sensible way to do of it because we were doing it just like yeah. sort of like well that cover art looks sort of like this cover art like right. that's probably right or like this is I like this label like I'll listen to anything on Merge yeah. or whatever um, and yeah and since then like in the last like f- you know four months or whatever I've been starting to like get into it and just letting SoundCloud play in my house. I'll pick somebody's like SoundCloud, and when it runs out, it starts picking things that are similar. Okay. And it's crazy how much fantastic music I found that way. Just unsigned, just, unheard yeah, of. Yeah, like people. just yeah, and particularly in anything electronic yeah, or yeah. dance music oriented or rap oriented. Like it's just that's just heaven for that sort of music. Right. You know? Like da- Daedalus is like a, a ginormous on SoundCloud, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure, he should be. You know? Yeah, rightfully so. And I, I, we, we had this. But he's big otherwise too. Yeah, he's been, he's been big. He's big, big, big. Huge. He's huge. He's huge. 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 Do we? We don't want to discuss that hook we wrote last night. No, no, we'll leave that for. (laughs) Save that. Save that. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say that. Young Lottie gonna say that. Definitely gotta Um, do that. But but to, we've been talking about how, um, 
you know, the, the new generation and, like, and how kids are discovering music. And, like, uh, lately I've been having these d- discussions. I have a younger cousin, my little cousin Jake. And we've been having, like, these, these, <laughs> these, like, heavy music discussions. And it's really interesting for me to get the perspective of, like, somebody coming out of middle school, going into high school. You know, and that's, like, as a family member of mine that has, like, in the last couple years kind of, like, found and since dug back into my music. I think kids are tired of, like, tastemakers shoving shit down their throats like this is what you want to hear this is what you want to be looking at this is what everybody's looking at and it's going back to like our generation where like we came up hunting and searching for every little thing and sharing it and like there was there was a magic about that there was you know i was telling you that i used to go to the mall and like just buy the big box cds based on the artwork or like if it had a feature of somebody that i vaguely knew i would just buy it and like go home and listen to it and you know if i didn't like it whatever it was a 15 12 dollar cd you know, like I actually used to, my parents used to try to limit the amount because I always worked. And like, if I'd come home with five CDs, my Italian father would be like, you fucking buy all those CDs. So right. I used to buy two and hide three in my pants. What are we going to get the olive like, oil? No, I didn't even steal. <laughs> How are we going to get the olive oil? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Mama> exactly. <laughs> Forget about it. Mama doesn't give you the job. You fucking pukiakos. <laughs> you little prick. Well, um, it's interesting that you say that. You know, I had I had Lord on here, um, you know, a few months ago, and she said, and she's you know she was seventeen at the time, mm-hmm. and I guess like sixteen when when she was putting her first shit out, and she said, uh, and she was already she already had a deal like a development deal with Universal or somebody I don't know major, and she said she would not let them put out her first shit like her her EP that she put out that was like her first shit she wanted to put it out on SoundCloud herself because really? she thought that was the way and she's extremely calculating you know what i mean yeah. but that was the way to make it hit because otherwise it look it would look like she's trying too hard too postured know? yeah too, yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. so she she just kind of put she knew it was good and she just kind of dangled it out there on SoundCloud and see what to see what happens and it blew the fuck well, up well that's so interesting cuz that's the way i found out about her and I found out of her in that classic like word of mouth manner where someone tweeted at me like hey you checking this out and that person is someone that POS happened to follow and Uh Steph was like yeah like just saw that conversation and the off chance that he happened to be on the internet at the same time and was like yeah you should check that out Andy and so because of these two people one person I didn't know but it was friends of a friend so basically having a friend and their friend being like no really you should check this out I went and just bought it immediately on iTunes that first like Royals EP or whatever and just like bugging out and like from there finding out her whole history and her story but like not having it again like not having it forced down my throat by a website being like look at this 16 year old girl this is insane this is why you should check this out instead of someone just was like check that music out it's tight and then I listened to it and then the story unfolded right because it wasn't spoon fed to me you know like and that to me was that it's interesting to hear you say that because she nailed it like for me personally at least in my own anecdotal experience it would it it was revealed to me in the exact way that I think that she hoped it would have been. Right. Hey, Otherwise, your heartstrings would... a little. Yeah, totally. Exactly. If it dropped on a major, you might have been like, "Exactly, Man, fuck yeah. this shit." Yeah. yeah, it's pop shit. Whatever. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. Interesting. He's a smart cookie man. Well, to to go back uh, with you, Jacques, how did how did you initially get into um, recording and shit? Um. It's funny, man. I always rapped a little bit in high school, but never really took it seriously until I moved up to Orlando to go to college. 
and um, you know, quote unquote college. I, I moved. I moved out of Fort Lauderdale up to Orlando to go to community college. Okay. <laughs> I just needed to get the fuck you away. Get out of like, yeah, I just needed to get out in a way. And uh, all my friends are moving up there, and I never really took it seriously. And uh, you know, I started working at this record store, and uh, I, I literally like just started going to rap shows and hip hop shows. And I remember this dude, his Chris, not the DJ Craze, because he actually lives in Miami. This dude named K Razor, the homie. He was at this this hip hop show, and I literally rolled up to him. Was just like, "Hey, man! Like, I just moved here. Like, how do I get into this? Like, what do I got to do?" And he, he took me under his wing. It was kind of like, "Hey, man, just start coming to the shows, you know, meeting people, talking." There was like a, a abundant local scene. That's where like okay. Swamburger and you know the Soliloquist of Sound and X and all, all these like Orlando dudes, even into like mad ills in the early era of grind time like i used to be out at ucf every monday it was called the hush show like battling madness you know mad ills all the dudes that started grind time okay. like i came up battling these kids okay. every monday before when it was still freestyle battles um and through them i eventually met this dude named wes pence you know better known as diplo back then knew him as diplodocus and he actually took me to the show at a fucking pizza parlor to see this band from New Smyrna Beach called the Nature Kids open up for Dos Effects. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Diplo was kind of homies with these dudes, and like I was just he taken. was homies with the opening. He band. was homies with, with yeah, he was homies with the Nature Kids. Okay. He had like DJed for him a couple times, and because uh, Diplo's from Central Florida, he's from Deland, and these dudes are from New Smyrna, and had been doing like the Central Florida kind of Orlando, Gainesville, New Smyrna loop for like years. They were pretty big, you know, and um, I was hooked. Like right off the bat, I was hooked. And, um, you know, they used to invite people up to freestyle. I couldn't even freestyle at that point. But I would, like, I would go. They would play every week. And I would write a new rap every week okay. to go to their show. And when they'd invite me up onto freestyle, quote, unquote, did I would just kick a written rhyme. Written, they they did because it was, like, a calculated written rhyme. But, I mean, yeah. I still wasn't, like, coming weak. Right, so they right, allowed right, right. me to keep doing it. And it's funny. I actually developed my freestyle skills on stage, not in, like, a bedroom or, like, right. a secret cipher. Like, I remember we were playing a spring break show, and I finally was just like, fuck it. I don't have something written. I'm sick of recycling this verse and started freestyling. And uh, I started uh, in about 99, 2000. I broke up with my girlfriend, sold my car, dropped out of college, broke my lease, and went on tour with these dudes. With the, that same band? With the Nature Kids, okay. yeah. And that's how I met Grand Buffet. Um, the band Nature Kids ended up breaking up in the middle of that tour. We were like on the verge of a major deal in LA, like waiting around in this apartment. You know, we played the Rainbow Room, we played all these big shows, and like in the middle of all this shit, the deal about to go down, the two main dudes just like had it out and the oh, band shit. broke up. And it was like the longest drive home ever <laughs> from LA, knowing like I had nowhere to go back to, no car, you know, like the band that I thought was gonna pop, like never had. And that was like my first foray right. into this world. And uh, very shortly after that, Lord Grunge of Grand Buffet kind of took me under his you wing. You had met him on tour with them? Yeah, he had had this booking agent up in the Baltimore area. And uh, we had connected with them early on as the band. And we would start, like, trading acts. So, like, they'd come down here, do the Florida circuit with us. And we'd just go up there and do, like, the Maryland circuit. And, like, okay. really nothing in between. And uh, one day they just kind of sent who, us down who, these who two dudes. Who was the label down here? Uh, it was our buddy Moore. He did the thing called Left Right Records, but it wasn't even a label. It was just our buddy Moore Kravinsky, this okay. hardcore Israeli like hustler. I feel like I might have met him. Yeah, yeah Moore I was the dude him. who was like pushing a lot of the Anacon stuff yeah, on me back man. in the day. Yeah, you know, we, him, we were bringing man. atmosphere and sage. Yeah, and I met that guy. He had this like Israeli dreadlock mafia. I was at his yeah, house. I lived in that house. That's okay, the house I was okay. telling you about earlier. Did I meet you there? Probably, man. We built Shit. a lot of the early Orlando scene around that okay, house okay. and that dude and, and like his push. It's, uh, you know, how Andy and I had a lot of 
we, we met essentially through shows that he was booking. Who, who was fighting records? Do you remember that? That was him as well. He yeah, was half of that. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah man. I, I, I remember that guy. Yeah. Okay, And that cool. was back in the day. And so they, like, Lord Grunge just kind of took me under his wing and was like, hey, man, like, I want to push this Bluebird solo shit, man. Like, I'll make you beats. And at the end of that tour, he I had, ended wait, up... But had you been recording solo yet, or he just re- I had, heard you rapping? The band live. had this side project called Smith, Stephen Mike Talking Hawking. And it was like, the drummer of the Nature Kids was a DJ, the guitar player, Cracker Jackson, was an ill-ass rapper, and the rapper. So it was like the four of us kind of, like, rapping over beats that this dude, Two Real T who was like a new Smyrna, like legend. The dude, like I learned my chops from him and Cracker Jackson. The dude was a beast, like amazing freestyler, amazing rapper, like just on some crazy shit. I I was always like falling a step short of him and Cracker Jackson. Okay. But like they just kind of allowed me into their group and like treated me as a peer. And like I grew within that as as a rapper. And uh, when that all kind of fell short, Grunge was like, hey man, like I want to help you with this like Bluebird solo shit. Uh Went up to Pittsburgh, him and Jackson made me a couple beats on like my very first stuff was just like CDRs on some Lord Grunge beats and like they took me on tour as their driver and merch guy and like I'd kind of get up and do a do a song here or there they took me to Europe as their driver and merch guy wow. that's how I made that's all my dope. European connections that's how I eventually met met Scott DeRoss from Endemic like playing a, a, a Grand Buffet show in Halifax that's how I met Endemic that's how I met Thesis and kind of connected with the Canadian rap world and it all kind of branched out from there man I, I, I gotta get I gotta get uh Grand Buffet on here or, or, oh, man. or one of them yeah. Grunge is apparently DJing for Sage right now I've, I've heard is a few he? things on this trip that he's been out on the road like recently DJing with Sage which is fucking awesome man. well I, like I said uh, Jackson was at my show in Pittsburgh uh, a couple months ago <coughs> and uh, I think I I think I asked him about the, about being on the podcast but yeah I would I would love that um, those dudes man like I, <clears throat> a lot of people don't like particularly younger people don't, aren't really aware of those guys and I've always felt like they if they had existed five years later once everyone had camera phones right like they would have been so they would have had a show on Adult Swim they would have been on Adult Swim yeah like because they are that sense of humor and there's so many people because they open they like every band took them on tour. Like of Montreal yeah. took them on tour. Like yeah. uh, what's Sage this? Soul, Sage, of Montreal, uh, Leslie Willis. Once you, you know, see like, them, we did too. I think once you see them live, it, that's the thing. It's like the music is dope, but like once you see them, it's live, all about yeah. their in between song banter, man. Oh man, I learned my chops from them. It's, you know, yeah, like hundred percent, hundred percent. I probably played. You know, you played a billion shows with them. I probably no. played thirty shows with them, and it was so. What was so amazing to me is watch them. With a CD CD player and nothing else planned, would, they would never say the same jokes twice. Right, like they no. wouldn't repeat jokes. Oh, no, it was never totally the same improv. Set yeah, twice. Never, they're like improv geniuses. It oh man, was brilliant man! And like, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just, I wish that there was more of their stuff on YouTube. It it, it breaks my heart that they didn't exist in a world where video right. was just yeah. readily accessible. If you dig, you could find a little bit. Oh, trust me, I, we have dig. Yeah, we've dug. Yeah. But man, touring with them was like hugely educational and brutal for me. Because it's like, you know, I really didn't know shit. It was like some of my first like solo performances. And like, here I am going on before these dudes yeah. and being like, man, I literally have to do a front flip through a bar table. 
so somebody will remember me after Grand Buffet right, comes on. Because right, right. it's like once they would come on, it was just like this explosion of like comic genius and amazing beats and just like craft, you know, like we were right. discussing this morning, like, man, they just had it down. And so far back then, yeah. when like nobody I knew at that point was like doing shit like that. You know, I saw them do, I've seen them turn crowds around and just like in the face of adversity. You, like, you can't be there at that show watching them and not, not like and not it. be intently watching them. No, no. And, and, but, and I learned so much, man. And so many kids who like go play like their first shows are like sold out because they have like that video push or that video buzz, you know, like they'll never know what it's like to like step in front of an adverse crowd and like right. turn it around. Yeah, I felt you know, that way like, last night, honestly. Yeah, and you did it last night. I told you the second you stepped off the <laughs> stage, I felt like I kind of fell short and I was kind of kicking myself. No, you, you and then did it, good. You did good. They were tough, right. man. They, they were, were tough. tough. But man, you with your dancing, man, and your banter, you just like pulled, you turned it around and it was Thank amazing. Um, so, so, uh, and then, yeah, the other thing is like when you get a, after the show at night, do you go to the whorehouse with grunge or do you go work on ceramics with Jackson? Yeah. <laughs> I would do a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, like I'd work on ceramics till Jackson fell asleep and then I'd go drink a bunch of whiskey and make you know, a ceramic whore. And yeah, make a ceramic whore. Yeah. yeah. And we'd smash it together. Yeah. But but seriously though, I'm sorry. I, 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 I should cut that out, but I won't. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's won't. okay. It, so what so they, they were making you some beats and did you make an EP or something with, with I did, I did, and it kind of never really came out. And at that time, I had moved back to Orlando, and I hooked up. Um, I actually started this crew called the Cleanup Crew. Okay. With Swamburger, are you familiar with Swamburger? I'm not, man. Swamburger's from Soliloquist of Sound. Okay, okay. You know, they were on uh, Epitaph at okay. one point, and uh, are still doing major things in Orlando. And I met these dudes, sign one in Philco. They were going to this audio school in Orlando called uh, Full Sail, and we connected. The Cleanup Crew did one show at the House of Blues, never did anything else, and. Me, Philco, and Sign formed this crew called the Jerk Circuit. Okay. And like a lot of these dudes in Atlanta had lived in at our show the other night were like old heads that used to come to Jerk Circuit shows in Orlando. Okay. And that's the era when we were like bringing in Sage, bringing in Soul, bringing in Passage to Orlando, and Jerk Circuit was opening up for them. And the dude Sign One was still to this day an amazing like MPC producer. He's like that dude taught me. He'll be there in Orlando. Oh, like dope, that dude dope. taught me about the drums, man. Okay. Like, I didn't know anything about production really until I met Sign One. And like three of us were living in the, in Philco's one bedroom apartment. Like Sign lived on the couch, I lived on the floor. Every day we were making beats, freestyling, and recording. And that was like my first EP that I had made, uh, the Jerk Circuit. And it was called—I don't even know what it was called. It was called like Hoople. Does man's short lifespan make sense? It was like a photocopied cover. Okay. Um, you know, and at that point I was driving up to, I had this connection, we had this weird connection in Bloomington, and so I was like starting to get my own like kind of out of state shows, and uh, around that same era is this when... Is, this is what, 2001? This two? is 2000, 2001, okay. yeah, and around that same era is when Grand Buffet took me to Europe. Okay. And uh, I made all my European connections and met like the the Shadow Animals and these dudes like Zucchini Drive. I remember Shadow Animals. Yeah, and Bur- together... Belgium? Yeah, and okay. together we made this record called Gun Porn with that dude Exendiel, who okay. was from Offbeaters in Germany. They're the huge vinyl distributor. Okay. So, like, in 2002 when I was on that Grand Buffet tour in Halifax, I met Scott DeRoss, who was running Endemic Records, and he was, like, the first dude to ever step to me and be like, well, like, who's putting out your album? 
and I had never even thought of it up to that point. You know, I was but just trying you, to like did make you have music. A, did you have a full thing done? I, no, not okay, at all. Just, like, he, yeah. and I was like my album. You just you know, knew you and needed he, to make and, an album. Yeah, and he actually like brought me to Halifax to record a record. Okay, and, uh, that was like my first in 2003. Sloppy Doctor dropped on Endemic, and that was like my first. And you recorded that in Halifax. Release. I recorded it in Halifax. And, yeah, and had beats from who on that one? Beats from Scott DeRoss, some beats from Sign One. There was a beat from Lord Grunge that me and Soul rapped on. Um, you know, I think I had a, Alias B had given me a beat at that point, you know, because I was really pushing. I was really happy. Scrap together that who, whoever you kind of were meeting and. Everybody, anybody yeah. who I could, man. I was just like grasping for straws and kind of like, you know, had these amazing people that were willing to make beats for me, but it definitely was very like unfocused as kind of like my mind and my, you know, my clutter. I'm one of those cluttered desk kind of guys. Right, right. Um, and that's why I named it the Sloppy Doctor because I was just okay. like patching shit together from right, all over right. the place, you I know. Like and at that time, I went and did my first solo European tour and uh with the shadow animals i was stuck in belgium for a week and uh we had all these beats from this german producer named xndl and uh me the two guys from the shadow animals and this one swedish rapper named marcus de Grapp made this record called gun porn and like at that point vinyl kings was like doing these 500 limited releases of vinyl and like sloppy doctor sold out in the first month on vinyl kings gun porn went out of print on the first first month you know first mm -hmm. runs and uh we were pushing heavy vinyl in europe not heavy but like at the time it was great yeah you know they were doing really well for us um and i just like started hitting the europe circuit hard because america just like just wasn't really doing it for me you but know like they, it was spotty was the audience feeling you more in europe too yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, like I had these patches in Florida. I always did well. Um, L.A. I did well because I had connections with like Existerio and Tumex and the Shapeshifters. And those mm -hmm. homies were always really cool to me. Um, but really like Europe, man, is where it's at. And uh, eventually I moved from Florida to Montreal to be closer to Endemic. And, uh, you know, that's when I started getting in with, with 6-2 and Haji from Wolf Parade. Mm -hmm. And they were doing the... Uh, the turbo crunk parties and i just used to go out and freestyle with them and same with the islands when pop montreal would come around subtitle and i mm -hmm. were heavy into that scene and uh from there i bounced to berlin because i was illegal in canada for two years it was really tough man it's hard were for they, they would keep checking on you or? yeah and i was touring a lot so like every time i'd come back in the country and cross the border like, what was, are you doing here? yeah like i'm like man i might not even be able to get back to my house or my right, girlfriend right. and shit like that you, would you say that i live here or were you just um, like, oh, I'm no just eventually i just out. i mean i got to the point where i was so good at lying to them that I, Every time I would just say I'm visiting my girlfriend mm -hmm. and then I'm going to catch a train back to Florida. Mm -hmm. And that was like the best excuse because mm -hmm. it would like tug at the heartstrings, especially if I got like a female, uh, you know, uh, border border patrol, whatever mm -hmm. they are, the, the customs, immigration, to the point where I used to carry around this fake engagement ring in my bag. Oh, my and like God. if they were going to like second like, guess me and be like, you can't, I'm going to be like, this is the time, like have a heart. I'm going to propose to my girlfriend, you know, That's like you got to awesome. just let me in for two days. And yeah. I never, it never got to that point, but man, I had in my backpack, like That's in my tour backpack, like this that. little ring. But uh, it got to the point where like it just wasn't viable for me to be in Montreal anymore. I loved it. It was one of my most favorite cities I ever yeah. lived in it's musically, like I grew there musically. I recorded another album and an EP with Endemic, but eventually moved to Berlin because at that point, like that was the Europe was the only place that like I could actually make a living. I didn't mm -hmm. in Montreal. I was dishwashing. I was doing construction. I built a few restaurants. Like I had it good. I was still able to do music, but Berlin was the year where like 
man, I had a French booking agent. I had a German booking agent. I had an Eastern European booking agent. I was messing with this French label called Jarring Effects that was heavy in Lyon. And I ended up putting out an EP with them and like playing huge fouls on the festival circuit Mm -hmm. and like doing really well. Yeah, the festival circuit is key in Europe because you can actually make good money. True, but I was still like one dude with a CD player and some noise boxes at that point. And I remember having this discussion with my booking agent where I was like, you know, how come I can't get more festivals? And he was like, man, your music just isn't very festival. Right. I had to take that to heart. And be there like, is a certain look that, you know, that, that the festival's like. Yeah. It is. And I've, and I've always made this like, man, my music has always been a lot darker than me. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're my personality. And I always tried to make up for that lie. Interesting. You know? and like, Why do you think that is? I, I, I really can't, I can't picture it, man. Did I didn't grow up feel- listening to dark, brooding music. I grew up listening to like... To live crew, you know, so Beastie you like, Boys. In. Were you like getting a side of yourself out that was in there, but but you couldn't express maybe I, in I, a in a personal way, or I think so, and I, I maybe you know, and I think maybe yeah, it was always deeply personal, and I've always been a personable guy, but the music I was making, like I was always attracted to the darker like scratchy banging kind of noisy beats you know and maybe it was a lot of but the that's stuff not like what you really listen to it's what i you know i mean music for the music for the advancement of hip-hop and you know the, sure. the co-flow and and the quantum and the latirics and like you know i was heavily influenced by all that and like that darkness attracted me but like that's not the type of dude that i was i was always right. kind of like a happy go lucky comical you know i won class clown in my senior high school yeah very extroverted very funny guy trying to be you know but in my and so my live show was like this mix of like this heavy dark music with me just like busting out jokes and stories in between and like trying to to add a little levity and like and like make people smile and like it's hard to make people dance to dark music and like ultimately festival wise especially festival wise yeah you know but if i wasn't in, in like you know i was very physical and at one point like i remember like i was just like literally doing front flips on stage and right. like I remember grunge had to like pull me aside one day and be like man like that's all good but like you don't want to be the dude that gets pigeonholed into that shtick because your body won't be able to, to, to hold on to that very much longer you right. know like right. there's only a, there's only a short window where like physically you could take that yeah and like literally but I was jumping do, through windows do, can you do that shit I mean yeah Whoops. I'm kind of old now but at that point like uh, yeah I was doing a selfie 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 snapchat snapchat <laughs> and he was fucking taking selfies was he just snapchatting people in the crowd last no, night no just okay. taking regular pictures okay so he's working on my branding no this yeah. is good we need we need a photograph for the for the podcast anyway yeah. make, put, do square photos because that's what I can use for the right, square photo. Oh, you keep doing, keep doing. You it. got it. Yeah, recently, We're keep within the last couple of years, man, I was I was traveling through Tucson, and I had this really important conversation with uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Toothpicker. Okay. He was actually giving me this tattoo right here, okay. and he sat me down, and he was like, he told me straight out, he was like, you know, and I and I, he's a dude whose opinion I've always held in high regard. And he's always been really honest with me. And he was like, you know, he was like, Jacques, I like you a lot, man, but like, I can't vouch for most of the shit you do. You know, like all the cutesy shit, like Andy and I with the Boyfriends Incorporated, and I've always been really into cats. And and he's always like, when I look at you, he's like, I think Southern rapper. He's like, you can fucking rap. He's like, you're a rapper. He's kind of like, he he always struck me as kind of like a hard guy. Isaiah's a hard guy. Yeah, he's a hard guy. Is that that what he's saying? Yeah, but no, but Isaiah's also, but he's right though. He's right. Isaiah, the one thing Isaiah will always be is honest, and he is a a brutally, beautifully, magically honest person, and he's right though because he, there is what he was saying is essentially is like he sees this history of this core of Jacques, this history of growing up in in South Florida, listening to Two Live Crew, Poison Clan, and all that Jam stuff. Pony Express, yeah, like man, all this like, stuff that 
is... But that's party music. That's not hard music. Yeah, but... Is but, that what he was saying? What he's saying is that, like, Jacques... He could... He saw this core of Jacques that Jacques wasn't letting out in his music. Right. And I think, you know, whether he was saying go full bore into just, like, become the next two live crew or, at the very least, bring that into what you're doing. Right. Like, yeah. don't don't suppress that because that is Because you feel like you. you have to do this, like, indie... indie underground rap yeah like stuff, yeah exactly yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. in Berlin with this dude J-Rope who used to do production for Atari Teenage Riot and I right. made this record Prince and Ali that was like this noise rock influence like crazy record and he was like look man like all this That's shit you're you doing he's like all this shit you're doing you're just like trying to get away from your roots and it's like the farthest you can get and you know personally I went through this journey where it's like I feel like I needed to get there to get back to here right you know and I really took it to heart and it didn't happen right away but like the past couple years when I was done doing that Freebird trip and done like doing this RV trip and like made that fake four record with Andy and Radical Face producing it which at that point I was like I just want to write some songs you know at that point I ceased just being like I'm trying to be a rapper like I really wanted to write these songs like I I got to that and over the last couple years I've been back to like man I'm just like really enjoying just being a rapper Okay. Man, like just rapping. That's and, where uh, you're at right now. Yeah, and like for the past year, I was pushing this group called Death Jam, which was me and two other like Floridian homies, Jabberjaw and Proto Man, and uh, had been doing their thing, you know, like independently for years, same as I have, and kind of got a little salty and, you know, a little disappointed in like what had happened and uh, wasn't having that much fun anymore. And uh, we connected with these old school Miami bass producers, like this dude Jock D, like Cut It Up Death. These are like dudes who in like the 90s were making like Miami bass dance party music that like my older brother and me grew up like bumping in in his bug. Like my brother had a bug where he he took out the back seat and had a speaker box with two 18s. And like I used to have to ride to school with him and his boy would be in the front seat and I would be sitting on the stump between the two speakers with my plugging my ears. That's ridiculous. You know, like MCADE, how much bass can you take? The bass would rattle my lungs. Yeah. You know, and and like, and that's, that's like what I grew up on. And like I connected with, in like last year, connected with like dudes who were making those beats, doing that production. And they were like, not really doing much still kind of like DJing still had studios but like all had jobs and we're like trying to throw beats at these younger kids and so we formed this group called Death Jam and like I went under the the name D-E-A-T-H yeah Death Jam and I went under the name Young Lauderdale and just kind of took on this whole persona and at first like honestly I was like I might hate myself you know like I really might hate myself and after we recorded the first song, man, it was just like the most genuinely fun yeah. thing that I had done in a long that, time. Honestly, from from what I can tell about your personality, from from hanging out with you for the last couple of days, that seems to fit to me. Like that you can you would do something fun like that. It was fitting, and like you know, we played a couple shows, and like it was just like the most fun, like the most high energy, and really like my music live had always been an uphill battle Uh and like this stuff was just like a complete like 180 degree like people like the world is a dark place man and there's fucked up things happening and like I always had this like urge to to sing and rap about that and I had the the, you know I was so naive I thought that like I could change that you know and like there's still a part of me that like feels like musicians should have a voice but like in the long run man when people are at clubs and people are at shows like 
they want to dance, they want to shake their ass, they want to have a good time. And I think there's a difference between music that you listen to live and at a club and music that you sit in your house and like yeah, really man. listen I mean, to. You know, like, there's, there's a dividing line. A million different forms of music and all of them are just as valid as each absolutely, other. Absolutely. And they different applications. Absolutely. And uh, that stuff was really fun, you know, and uh, we put out a bunch of videos and a bunch of singles and uh, our mixtape will still be dropping in January, but for the most part, everything kind of fizzled out with that. that so De- Death Jam fizzled death out Death Jam already. is done, man. Jesus, we released before this, it started almost. The death, the death yeah, the death, the death Wolf. We released this cool video with this bar that I was working at called Laser Wolf. They did Laser Wolf Records, and uh, we did this really beautiful white 7-inch, and I built these gift boxes with this like three color die cut gold lame sticker where like I put red LED like I soldered red LED lights into the eyes and like handmade a hundred of these boxes and uh yeah so like Def Jam did some really beautiful stuff man I was on the verge of like working with this Brooklyn Jam company about making like a Blackberry Def Jam and uh you know we had some premieres on Noisy and some stuff you know there was some cool shit going on but for the most part, it just kind of fizzled out. But uh, some great things came out of it. Jabberjaw, who was one of the, the main producers, goes by Mr. Belvedere. And, like, uh-huh. he's going to be... We've been doing a lot of music together. And uh, he's going to be producing my brand new record that, like, I'm working on for this year. Which is what? What is it, What is that going to sound like? What is that going to feel like? I'm at, like, I'm at a point where, like, for a minute... I was, this is interesting, you know. I was at the, a really confusing point where I felt like, as Bluebird, I'd been around for so long. And, like... You know, booking agents have passed me up, labels have passed me up. You know, like I've been around to where like my name is known, but like I've never really broke. And I feel like that's working against me. Passed up artist, (laughs) pretty much, man. I've been on the sideline of a lot of shit, you know, forever. And like, and and that is what it is. You know, like I'll never. My experience has made me who I am. But like, I feel like maybe it's a smart move to rebrand. And like, I was thinking about releasing a record as Young Lauderdale or as Jess Lauderdale and I like that but like I don't have the machinery to come out of nowhere you know what I mean like I don't have 20 G's to to do that in a PR fashion but our listeners do listeners we're like so I'm kind of on the fence like I don't know (laughs) like this whole Young Lauderdale and Death Jam is like blended into the Bluebird stuff that I've been making right you know and so I'm like kind of like straddling the fence where like I don't know if it's smart for me to make a Bluebird record that has that affectation to it that has a little bit of both worlds where I can still make these personal songs but still like kind of be that like fun like I don't know I don't know man I don't know what to do I'm looking for some direction my instincts kind of say try try the Young Lauderdale thing if if that's kind of where you're at right now and the thing fizzled for interpersonal reasons it sounds like or whatever else but you're still sort of moving in that direction I don't know I I say you know you're you're at an age we're we're all at an age where it's kind of like it feels like it should be transition heavy maybe yeah I'm ready for a shake up I feel that way absolutely you know a shake up yeah so um, I mean, I've know. never been scared to try new things. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> what are you saying? Hey, hey. I don't know. You know, hey. it's a long drive. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm at that period, man, and uh, I mean, the decision is now. You know, like I'm, I'm actually in a process of like shaking my life up. I've been, I've been working kind of full time for the last two years at this little amazing craft beer bar called Laser Wolf down in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, but like over the last couple months, been like playing more shows getting out there a little more I was in Japan this year with my group Triune Gods who released their second album you know and that exists in its own bubble in Japan and a little bit in Europe but uh 
I'm ready to make some more noise this year. Yeah. And I'm just trying to figure out what's the best way to go about it, man. Do you have Do you have a lot of writing for this record yet? I do. I okay. do. I have some sketches of beats, but I still have a lot of writing. So you to do. are you making your own beats a lot? No, no. I'm un unsavvy. At when production. you say sketches, so you'll you'll give a, a demo sketch to to a, to a beat maker and have them flesh it out? No, Belvi, Mr. Belvedere has given me some sketches. I see. And, uh, I they're see. rough sketches. And uh, once I start the writing process, I'll come to him with some ideas and we'll structure right. it out and flesh it out together. I got you. Yeah. Um, Which and, I learned that process from Andy. Yeah, that's Because I used process. to just be like, give me beats, I'll rap on them and send them back. But right. when we made our Cannonball record, like, I, I didn't come to Andy with any solid written ideas I had some sketches and some some stories and some ideas and we fleshed it out as we were writing and working on it together which was an amazing experience and it changed the way I worked on music together that's interesting I, I, I like that that's a good that's a good way to do it sometimes when 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 you come at something with something too too locked in too rigid then it can be too rigid yeah yeah, yeah. no and I'm it always yeah it doesn't fit in you know it doesn't lock in well, correctly I think a lot of times something. too is one of the things that's missing from the the rap the producer rapper producer relationship is like flexibility and is the actual like the, it, for a thing for for a form of music that by and large is like superficially collaborative like you have a guy who makes music and then you know who may not even be part of the group you know like you a rapper will have you know 15 different producers making every different beat on the record there's something that's like superficially collaborative about it but completely uncollaborative because like once the producer makes the beat he's like that's what I'm giving you and a lot of times they'll just give you like a stereo file right and, it, and, and it's already no sequenced yeah, yeah. yeah it's already sequenced and then you write your ver your stuff over it and then you give it to an engineer and he mixes it and it's done there's no like interchange or like exchange of ideas or like well maybe what if you did this like that and to me like that's one of the things that's often missing from the rap like no stem yeah, zone. No, no stem zone. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple motherfuckers just giving out stereophiles. Um, yeah, that's missing from, I think, the rap. Stereophiles like, giving out stereophiles. <laughs> stereophiles oh, giving stereophiles. out stereophiles. No stem zone. No stem zone. You okay. should know better. <laughs> and see. But yeah, um, I think that's, I think that's a, that was a real fun process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and okay, well, what I'm going to ask you though, Jacques, is what what are your what are your writing sketches tending towards right now in terms of subject matter and feel? Can we turn this air the the blower down a little bit? Just because I'm, I'm a little worried about the yeah. Is it blowing in the mic? I don't know. So what? So what? Yeah. What do um, you think? Um, you know, man, like I uh, I've been working on a few things here and there, but I have yet to sit down and like you haven't done try shit, to conceptualize <laughs> no I've done some shit I've done some shit but I, I'm like I'm, I'm pussyfoot man I'm right. pussyfooting because I you, I thought I had a plan and I threw that plan out the door literally a week before this tour I had some singles that I thought I was going to roll out that were going to be on the record but I've since dropped them on SoundCloud I see and just like allowed them to be what they are okay and, uh, and those kinda, are more bluebirdish or yeah more, it's, okay. it's the thing like it's kind of straddling the line like I decided to just put them out as bluebird but like there's definitely some young Lottie in there yeah, you know yeah. like and I'm still finding my voice with that um, because I don't want to alienate you know, I have fans who've been following business, me yeah. through all the years, and I don't want to alienate them. But at the same time, like I'm going to change, and like right, well, that's the, not going to be a worry for you, me. You can't you can't worry about what people are going to think about your change. If you if your change is happening naturally, you have to go with it. You have to follow yeah. it, man. Otherwise, you're you yeah you're holding back, and you're you're going to get 
sick in the mind and in the head. True, but I'm trying to find a happy medium because the Death Jam stuff was literally like our first song was called PPP Pussy Pop and Posse. And uh-huh. you know, and like I'm not gonna stand up and rap about pussy pop and posse. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's not gonna be that when I'm not with the other dudes. And like yeah, the whole the whole Death Jam was like collaborative. You know, we were writing right. it as right. we were recording I it. Got you. Yeah. Like I'd write two lines, and, and and you know, Swap Shop Kid would write two lines, and we it was all about chant heavy. You know, yeah. it was fun. And so like I'm trying to find this like happy medium where I still have elements of that. But like I'm still songwriting. Yes. And uh, and that's where I'm kind of straddling the whole you know Young Lauderdale Bluebird because I don't know where my voice is going to come from. Maybe you call maybe songs. maybe it's called Bluebird and you call the album Young Lauderdale. Been thinking about that. Something you know? like been that. About that the, for sure. I don't know. One of the things that like, as someone who's been familiar with the music for a really long time, one of the things that's really interesting to me and super exciting to me about watching the the Young Lauderdale Death Jam stuff sort of fold in and influence your Bluebird stuff is the change in your voice and in the change in your patterns where everything is becoming much more simple and like there's getting a more breathing room in a lot of the stuff that you're writing like because you used to work in really complex patterns and really (laughs) intense layering and doubling and stacking of vocals with tons of effects that a lot of times like you're now you're just letting it breathe and it's just like it's just words and it's very relaxed and that that's was, always a good thing I it think. is a good thing and it's a thing that was really like while I was a dude that was really into tight and intricate and in in like uh, pattern heavy stuff and the older I get the more and more I really enjoy the opening impact up. of opening it up yeah. and letting the words because like you're a good writer and like this allows people to to hear your words, you know? And that was the thing that, like, people had been telling me forever, like, you know, like, you're a great writer, but no one knows what the fuck you're talking about, you know? <laughs> like, and so, like, this, like, real, it, and it took me, you know, three albums to be like, oh. I like, I like that, that, that you look good as a ghost song. Thanks. Very open, man. Very, yeah. Yeah, and trying to be more direct and trying yeah. to, like, and it's not that you're spoon-feeding anybody, you're just, you're removing that wall. Like, a lot of times, and I think that wall... A desire to live inside, have something live in the secrecy of poetry, live in like the hidden language of prose or whatever, oftentimes puts a wall up between the audience and your actual meaning and the audience and the potential for impact. And there's a reason that pop like connects with people because it is so simple. Yeah. Like yeah. just because it's simple doesn't mean it has to be stupid. There's a lot no, of stupid you can pop- layer below that simplicity. That's the thing is absolutely. you just want it simple on the surface. Yeah, and absolutely. And there's tons and tons of. You can be simple. I mean, look at someone like Bill Callahan, who is the king of simplicity. Right. And no one will ever accuse that man of being stupid. Right. Like, being able to, like, look at his records and the way that he's just, you know, able to just, in two lines, paint a universe and then cut you open. Like, that. that's the direction that I find that you're pulling from the Death Jam stuff. Though you're not, like, on the newer Bluebird stuff, you're not rapping, rapping about popping pussy. But like you are taking that sort of language and the simplicity of that language, and then implying you know applying it to your own blood and guts, and that is making your more your blood and guts much more attainable, much more understandable. Interesting. Not not blood and guts like pussy and and uh, <laughs> menstruation. No, flesh, no, no, menstruation. No, no, no. no, no. We ain't talking metaphorical, about allegorical, metaphorical menstruation. Spiritual, lyrical, allegorical. It's funny. Guts. Two two people. Well, years ago, Tim actually, Tim Soul was just like telling me he's like you know the average pop song has. 40 words right and he's like and you're sitting here writing four pages a for a verse words. you know yeah. what I mean but uh, a real turning point for me this is pretty funny was about six or seven years ago this uh, Swiss pianist named Leo Tardin uh, I met him through Mike Ladd you familiar with Mike Ladd sure 
and um, he had this group where he was traveling around. They were called Grand Pianoramics. It was like a free jazz piano and drums, and they would have like different MCs and poets with okay. them. And uh, Mike had invited me up to freestyle in Berlin. A couple weeks later, I got an email from Leo being like, hey, can you fill in for Mike for a couple shows? He can't do it. Thinking like, oh, man, I'm living in Germany. It's around there. And it was in fucking India. Oh, shit. So this dude brought me out to Mumbai to play three shows at like this jazz club. Completely freestyle. Like no, he was like, you could throw a couple verses in, but it's like a two hour, two one hour sets per night, three nights in a row. Improvised. Improvised. Which I was totally down for. But I just remember like the first set, man, I came out guns blazing right. just like so fucking psyched man like these dudes flew me to India I'm right. in India you know like I've been wandering around by myself all day the, the taxi cabs like not being able to eat the fruit I mean just like I dove head first I was so excited and I came out and like the drummer I always have this thing with drummers like when I start freestyling we'll get this like eye locking thing and like the faster I go the faster they go and it's always really fun and I just remember like I was going a thousand miles an hour and during the break in between sets like Leo was like an older guy you know like a distinguished very intelligent amazing musician kind of sat me down and I was like pump your brakes homie you gotta relax like but no but it wasn't more like that he was like he was like he was like I really appreciate this like you and the drummer and he's like there's there's I want there to be elements of that, but he was like, it's there's got to be an ebb and a flow. Yeah, and yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah. he was like, your words are, he's like, you're saying these amazing things, but like people can't keep up with them. Right. And he's like, let it breathe, you yeah. know, like say some shit and let it weigh on yeah. them and give space. And I had never even thought about rap in that sense. And that was years ago. And like, and that conversation really took me. And for the rest of the nights, it was like, man, let me take a little breath here. Yeah. And like, my style kind of changed. And then, you know, fast forward when I was working on the record with, with Andy and with Ben Radical Face, like they really taught me about like how a song can be, like it doesn't have to be a wall, like it's a roller coaster. And like those lows add to those highs. Oh yeah. You know, and like, yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, you need tension and drain. You need that. You need that. Those dynamics. Absolutely. For, yeah, for the highs to, to hit right, there has to be the lows. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That that's something that I think within indie rap and the scene we came up in, I think has lacked in general. We're just trying to fucking rap for a lot of people <laughs> that exactly that just come out and just want to rap and and it's, and they and they have that guns blazing mentality. You know, especially the. You know the, the the LA scene and all. That. Yeah, man, just like coming up, listening to Dose, yeah, and Peace, yeah. and Micah, and just being shapeshifters yeah. and just like wow. Well, what's funny too is this for all of our like that whole community's like priority placed on art and message and content. In the end, most of us just want to fucking rap. <laughs> like right. it's yeah, like man. it's such a funny contradiction because like. It is this like no, I want to say something and I want to be a thing, but it but that shit should also sound tight, yo. <laughs> like right. that's such a funny. It's gotta sound cool. Yeah, it's such a funny contradiction that like I think a lot of us have had to work really hard to to break that habit, to break that need of like being tight. Like right. it's, it doesn't have to be dope. It has to be good. Like yeah, but to... I mean that the, the thing is 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 there's there's tight. In many different ways, like sure, there's sure. there's tight like like that Kendrick song that we saw the other night Woo, was yeah. like, but that was tight in all ways, I guess. But yeah, but <laughs> tight I mean, there are times like it's like there are times yeah. when it's a weapon and it's perfect. Yeah. and he uses it there. Like Kendrick is the master at. But you know what? I can't remember a goddamn line from that song. Uh, so so you know what? Sometimes it's more effective even to to slow it down and have the content be super tight, but the delivery 
to be slow and low and let it go. Like, that you know, it, yeah. And, and <laughs> in, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. so, to, to deliver something in, in a manner that, you know, it's a little more obvious, you know, but not that the content might not be obvious. Well, I think that's, I mean, Kendrick is such a good example of that because he came up sort of, I think, straddling a lot of those worlds of being in L.A. and being aware of... He came from the Blood Project Blow. Yeah, coming from the Blow to the Freestyle Fellowship scene, but then also being aware of, like, that super slow delivery of West Coast gangster rap. Right. And, like, he is so sharp at when it's time to fucking chop and kill it double time, he does that. will murder it. Yeah. But when it's time to just lay back and just one line easy delivery well he'll do a line a bar right. like where it, and it's just so like he'll have a line and let it breathe for a half a bar and have a line and let it breathe for a half yeah. a bar like he's very calculating it helps that his voice is fucking awesome yeah, he also has the, ba- the yeah. most beautiful very voice. very sexy oh nice very sexy call me call me call me call me Kendrick, if you're listening now, which you are. Yeah, switch over to iTunes. Download yeah. it on iTunes. Yeah, please do. Be sure to, be sure to subscribe. subscribe and uh, give me five rate. star rating. Five top, star rating. Top, top dog. I said K dot. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well. Cool. So. What? Okay. That's that's your next. Uh, you know, we, we're about an hour in. We can start closing up, but I, we we don't have to actually. We can keep talking. We can do whatever. Well, we can keep you talking. Know, well, what else do we not address? When you asked me, when you asked me about the the writing. Like uh, yes. I, the one song that I have like written for the record, I actually wrote it like a year ago, and I've been performing it on this tour because I've been super reluctant to release it. Okay. And like Which one? It's the Black Boy song. Okay. Black yeah. Boy, White yeah. Boy. I haven't yeah. even really given it a name, and uh, that beat is one of the first beats that, that Mr. Belvy gave to me. And like, I mean, I really don't even know where it came from. I was just listening to the beat for days. Like, it was so hot. That beat banged so hard. Yeah, yeah it does. That like, I sat down with it and I was like, all right, I got to do this justice. And like, started writing one song, scrapped it, started writing something. And one day I'm just in my room listening to the instrumental, like making my bed. And like, I think I was hanging something on my wall. And I just got this like... Dream catcher? I got this dream catcher, yeah, man. Dream catcher this dream catcher with a butterfly in it and Coco Pelli, you know? <laughs> And the way Coco Pelli was just like playing that flute it was like a snake charmer. <laughs> and I was like, this this feeling of like being white boyed my whole life. Uh-huh. You know, coming up in South Florida, getting the mic yanked out of the, the freestyle circle. And like, you know, it was great, man. It was, it was an uphill battle. But like when I used to do these, when I used to host open mics and not be able to freestyle, I'd have to come with these writtens and like... You know, I was. They were trying to chump me all the time, left and right. I was constantly having to like. Rightfully prove. so, if you weren't freestyling. No, no, no. But even be. when I was freestyling, and when okay. I used to go to the Hush show and do the battles, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. it was like this like weirdo clan of like me and Philco and Swamburger, and like then it was like the straightforward like battle rappers, right. and I was like it was right. always an uphill battle. I felt and that then, in Cincinnati with yeah, the, with Cloud Dead. I mean, definitely. yeah, uh, for sure. You know, and like eventually it got to the point where like you know we all grew up and we're all like, man, you do that, I do this, but yeah. it's all one scene. Yeah. book shows and play shows together but for a while it was like this tension and something about that beat that Mr. Belvedere gave me like just tapped into that tension that. man yeah. and uh, you know and I thought about I thought about my I have grandparents that are Greek and Turkish and how you know they had to flee their countries and, and my grandfather in Italy you know had to flee their country and you know the Nazis and all that and like it just was something about the tension and the song that I wrote didn't even really it barely scratched the surface but like I really enjoyed the like you know the, the white boy you know disrespected by the culture I grew up in because there came a point in hip hop where like I was ahead 
you know, ever since like 13, I was ahead. Right. And I'm pretty old. But like there came a point where I was listening to where like most deaf black on both sides came out. And that the Roots record, uh, the Common, like Water for Chocolate, where like I have been listening to Common since like Can I Borrow a Dollar? You know, and, and like, and Resurrection, like those are my jams. But this came a point where it's like, man, you don't appreciate me. It's like, you know, when I, when I, when I play, it's just coffee shops, chicks, and white dudes. You know, it's just like, what's wrong with me being there? Like, I've been buying your records and listening to you for like, right. since from the beginning of the career. And, and I had this like, I had to stop listening to like to the roots and to common, and that's when I kind of branched out to the left. If they were too African centric, you mean, or if they were like anti-white? Yeah, there was a little bit of that. Yeah, and like, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Said what she said, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I was a lot younger back then, but like, I when I was writing the song, I just kind of like tapped into that feeling which like you know I'm still not even like 100% sure if that's a wrong or right it's I'm right. not saying it's, it's not a valid feeling to race, have race you know? is so weird and touchy you know? race is so weird and touchy yeah, but like we I, all, yeah it is weird and especially for us you know being white in a rap world we're yeah. like I because I've been listening to rap so long I don't look at it as a color thing right you know but still like I was on the train the other day and like I sat next to this like 19 year old Christian kid who's a construction worker just like riding from West Palm Beach back to Jacksonville and inevitably I'm like yeah man I'm like you know going to Jacksonville play some shows oh you rap yeah so you you like you know it's Eminem I got the like also like is Eminem yeah, this was influence? a black kid or a white kid it was a white kid, kid. A white it was just kid. like okay. so is Eminem like your influence and I was just like no dude like yeah. you know there's a whole world you don't know about right right but I uh, like Eminem isn't the only dude the only white guy that well right, yeah. now that's even changed too where it's like um Macklemore. Yeah, it's and like, but but it's that's really an interesting thing. Like, for people that aren't initiated with the rest of the, like, with the, all of the things, with all the diversity that's going on in rap music, where they just get the radio, it's sort right. of funny that there's always like, there's the white dude of an of an era, of an era, you know, like, yes. that's that dude for that 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 time, and it was Vanilla Ice, and then it was Eminem, and now it's Macklemore, yeah. and like. So, like, when I first, I think maybe probably all of us had that experience, like, we first started playing shows, and you tell someone, like, you're at a Christmas party with your parents or whatever, and, like, you know, there's, you know... Or on an airplane or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, like, they're, like, oh, you make music, when you make music, you make rap music, and, like, at first, like, when you first started doing, like, oh, like, Vanilla Ice, like, abs- like that's just, like, the most, like, that's, right. that is basically, like, oh, you make music, like, what are you, like, Luciano Pavarotti? Like, it's just as ridiculous as right, suggesting right. that. It's so far flung, and then eventually it became Eminem. And now, like, when people are like, oh, you make rap music, or, like, like Macklemore. And, like, so there's that, like... Stigma. It's, like, well, it's just, like, culture anchor point for yeah. people. Because people don't... For the vast majority of people, they don't dig around on SoundCloud and find weirdo rappers and listen to Young Lean or whatever. And so they need a cultural Stigma. anchor point, like, a, a, you know, a reference point, you know, to kind of, like, categorize and box things in in their mind. And so I think it makes... Coupled with the, the confusing and touchiness and, and kind of absurd, like progress and degress of race relations in America that's going right. on at the same time sort of like in kind of confusing forward and backwards motion that's going on like a, a white person's relationship in, in life in rap music is a really like a, with no pun intended but like a really gray area like you know what, like, what is the difference between you know the, between like Elvis is it was Vanilla Ice like Elvis like I know he got a lot of flack because, but you know, and the era was so different. You know, yep. like black black people have been much more empowered by the time Vanilla Ice was in the mix. So it was like there there was a, a backlash, and 
you know, he was a joke in many ways to a lot of people uh, at the time that he came out. He made a lot of money. He did well. Yeah. Yeah, but, 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 you know, I think within the rap community that, you know, quote unquote real hip hop, you know, he was definitely regarded as a joke. Yep. Um, so was MC Hammer, though. So was MC Hammer, yeah. true. Okay, so that's because they were pop or whatever. Well, I but, think that's yeah. inherently because of their music and what sort of challenged that. I mean, even to the, to a great degree, the Beastie Boys were sort of, like, even though they were respected, they didn't really garner the impact that really came with Eminem because their music, though they're talented musicians, their music was inherently just silly. Like, so, and I, what's I'm, the difference, though, era-wise? Okay, so... What happened with, and I say Elvis, and I generalize with yeah. Elvis, but someone that took black music and, you know, co-opted it, essentially. You know, the Rolling Stones are, like, a pretty good example. The Rolling Stones yeah. are blues, straight up... Just ripping off blues Ripping music. off blues music. And they were the first ones to say so. Like Yeah, yeah. So so what's the difference, then, um, between that era and, and now, and how, you know, because rap has, while there are a lot of white musicians that do rap music, it, it still retained its blackness, I think, uh, by and large. Or am I wrong about that? Well, I think I saw an interview with, I think it was Pharaoh Monch, an interview with Pharaoh Monch a while back about this exact thing, and I think the difference is just time. Is that, like, can you, like, because he said, like, you know, rock and roll was initially a black music, but now, like, the idea of a black rock group right. is so Seems weird exotic. Yeah, They're exotic yeah. and weird. It's and so, Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, even, like, when, like, the TV on the radio became really big, and they right. If not all, I think the majority of the members. Ooh, of the it's group, this exciting! It's yeah, this like all these, like they let black I mean, people black have guitars. Was, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I play the guitar. <laughs> yeah, like it was such a, and that was such a, like strange thing and a strange sort of role reversal for a lot of people. And I think that by and large, all it is is that it's just time. Right. I think we're getting to that point of like you know, rap music is effectively thirty-ish years old. So you think like rap music really started in the fifties. So we're sort yeah. of like getting to the seventies and eighties, where rock music like really became what it is today with like big rock bands you know like the 70s is when rock music became like rock bands and then right. the 80s is when it became like it reached critical mass in like arena rock and, and hair they metal they fucked it all up in the 90s with grunge and yeah, all that and shit then, they, they, they said fuck you Lou what? Barlow <laughs> Well, no, I don't mean they fucked it up. No, I'm just kidding. But Lou Barlow was a uh, was a guest on here. Yeah, I know. But, I, but, <laughs> I was, I'm a fan. <laughs> I listen but, to that podcast. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. But but no, I, I mean when I say fucked it up, I mean like you know like punk rock and hey, stuff yeah. like that. That 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 obviously that was earlier. But you know in grunge, you know d- d- they took it and said, okay, well, well, you know you don't have to be a good musician. Blah 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 blah. So wh- where are we at with with? But but is white culture going to take over rap music? Well, no, I think it's a little different now because because the um, the democratization of the music industry, where anybody can make music now. And one of the things that's really exciting to me now is like for the longest time, when we when like when you guys when Anticon and the first wave of super weird rap music was coming out, like by and large that was being made by white people. And yeah. what's really not all together, not though. all together, but the I would say you could say the majority of it. Yeah. Be fair to say the majority of it, and like there was sort of a race divide in rap music where the white people were doing this experimental right. stuff and black people were doing this black, other black stuff. Black people were doing traditional rap, yeah, yeah, and yeah, white yeah, people yeah. were doing experimental yeah, yeah. rap. And, and, by and large, by and large, as a sweeping generalization. And one of the things that's really exciting to me is watching like young black kids make super 
weird ass rap music now. Yeah. yeah. Like to and like and now it's but, like. But let's not. When we said by and large, let's not forget the LA scene. That was it, mostly black. So for sure, a hundred percent freestyle fellowship project Globe, But like they, like that was a, this is that was the community. Yeah. And like and there's and we're speaking in generalizations. Like yeah. By no means am I saying this is absolutes, but it's what's really cool to me now is that like where you had a more kind of distinct stratification along race lines and style lines back then, now it's just all blurry. Oh, like yeah. you, have, you got like Machine Gun Kelly and yeah. Yellow Wolf and yeah, and then you have like dudes like Riff Raff, and then you have, like, they're making like the like white dudes that are making like the most like core like southern rap music like Paul Wall and those guys but then at the same time you have like a ton of weird kids like clipping Milo, and Milo Eagle, yeah. clipping you and know. it's and there's no there's no one path anymore and to me like that's I think it got to, it followed the same path that rock and roll followed but then it hit a technological wall that rock and roll never encountered right. and like we're now that we're not going to follow rap music's not going to follow that path anymore because of what's going on just in music in general and and, and in general i think that music has opened up to the point where you, you don't have genres in the same way no, even no, when we first all. started oh, look no. when we when you know I, I i was the weird guy in my as we were talking about earlier uh you know Jacques, like you know i, I was weird and not necessarily that accepted for trying to meld you know, bring bring rock aesthetics or or or, it, or folk and indie rock aesthetics into hip hop like yeah. that. Well, that you were hated on. I was hated you on. That was not absolutely. cool. And now, like everyone's genre bending, everyone's yeah. melding the genres. Walls have come crumbling down. Definitely, absolutely. definitely. Like I, I think you know, and 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 you can have like 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 black kids listen to listen to rock music nowadays. Absolutely. Like I, I I you know I, I'm a uh, I, I'm a volunteer at this music. Um, you know, place where we teach music to kids, and and the the black kids listen to white music, the white kids listen to black music. It's not there. There isn't like a that that divide like it was when we were kids, man. Well, and that's yeah. to me, that's the thing. That's really like there's a lot of there's there's always like people that are like, ah, oh, music is shit now. Music is shit now. And to me, like that's the coolest part about it. Like, you think about like ASAP Rocky made a song with Florence and the Machine. Like, yeah. can you imagine, like, that's rewinding, great. like, ten years ago and, like, Scarface making a song with Alanis Morissette? I mean, like, because that's the, you essentially could say, the equivalent. You like, could say it's, like, Run DMC and, and Aerosmith in a way To a degree, but degree. even, like, but even just, like, the gender dynamic of yeah. having, like, yeah. a, a guy who's... very was, femme. Yeah, something, a musician that is very femme and very, like, female positive working with a rapper who is often criticized as being sexist and misogynistic and both parties being like nah this is cool we don't care what you it probably are was like a, extreme fans it probably was like. a calculating publicity decision for, for, for both of them to but change even that, their like, image I think they yeah. sat down and were like you are a person you know beyond your music right, like right. our values match so like whatever the output and the how people react to your output like that's not what like your 100% just, beliefs it very well could just be that because I listen to both those musicians yeah. it very yeah. well could just be like the, like the they were like that banks <laughs> I mean like in the same way that like big boys started playing stopped playing rap shows started playing festivals working with Fanagram and, and then he saw Fanagram and yeah. was like this shit is tight yeah. and because Fanagram kills that live show I yeah. had never heard them before I saw them play Bumbershoot a few years ago I was like this shit is tight yeah. and if I was big boy I would have strutted right up to him like yeah. let's make music together but I am big boy and like for the he, he talks very openly about what made him start playing festivals beyond like I'm sure the, the money was that people at festivals have more fun yeah, like people go there, and he said the crowds were more fun. Yeah, and I, and what's really interesting with 
sort of kind of building off of that, like the idea of like the success of music festivals as being the way that most people consume music now in a live setting. The vast majority of the public, I think, consumes more live music in large festivals or huge touring bills, like combined touring bills, because people don't people aren't just rap kids anymore. Right. People aren't just rock kids. You want to go and watch ASAP Rocky, but you also want to go dance to, you know, Diplo, and you want to watch, you know, you know, uh, Fanagram or whatever. Right. Like, yeah. it's, you know, there's like, no, there's no, like, you no. want to watch Odd Future and Trash Talk, you know, yeah, at the same time. Yeah. Like, that's, and that's, man, that's a great example of, like, this super trashy punk and this super trashy weird rap music and it finding a home in a bunch of cranky teenage skateboard boys like right. that's awesome right. to me right yeah I, I think it's very cool that, that, that it's opened up like that and there's not that stigma about listening to the to the other side you know be, you know it, it you know like I think I've said this on the podcast before but like I, I we you know I had this little group of white guys mostly and we listened to the indie indie rap music you know as in like Tribe Called Quest and you know Dayla and whatever, Native all, tongue, yeah, Native tongue, whatever, all that shit. And then there was like the little crew of black kids that listened to that kind of music, and we didn't know until like twelfth grade, you know. And then finally, like we're, I was in like a, a art class with one of them, and we were just talk, we were talking, and, and I found out that he listened to all the same shit I listened to. We were like, what, really? Yeah. What? You know, like we thought we were the only ones. Totally, totally. But there's that weird race line that that like sure. I don't think you have that anymore, which is such a wonderful thing. Certainly not to the degree that it was. I mean, I remember that same sort of experience. Like I was a super shy kid growing up, and sort of dressing in the like accoutrement of like what a rap fan dresses like, <laughs> and essentially doing that, like wearing like winter camo and Echo Unlimited shirts and like a hemp beanie and like lugs boots, and really like beyond the fact of doing it like because I liked it, but doing it as sort of like a like a tribal like Put like smoke up. signal to be yeah. like hey, if right. you're out there right. if you love DOS effects as much as I do please come talk to me because I'm terribly alone and scared like and I think that that doesn't really apply as much anymore yet. well I mean you still have these styles yeah yeah, yeah. but you see a lot more of a bend, I think. Yes. Oh, For definitely. Sure. Yeah. Even if they, even if they might have a style that they dress like, they're gonna like the music that you would think they would never like. Yeah. I mean, look at Young Thug, who is like, can you imagine someone dressing like Young Thug, painting his nails, Princess Leia buns. Yeah, like you know? and like with Princess Leia buns, painting his nails and being on a Ti song T. ten years ago. Like it's literally impossible right. to conceive. It just would not happen, and the things have just changed. Like, and that's such a fascinating man. We could talk for hours about like what that means about like, like sexual identity, gender identity, racial identity. In, in it's all good stuff, though. It's all good stuff because it's all forward progress. Like, it's all this like everyone getting over their their shit mm -hmm. and being like, cool. Let's just make just, cool shit and let's have, have fun. fun with yeah. Right? Like, like, totally. yeah. I mean, the homosexuality and rap. Like, you know. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, it's huge. The bleeps and bounds in the last, oh, like, yeah. the last few years is exciting, and it's sort of like getting back to like the original beginning of the conversation of like that idea of you, Jacques, saying just like, like getting over your own shit and accepting like, I oh, mean, I want to have fun and make cool music and just do the thing that's in my gut. Like, that's. So like Young Thug was like, yeah, I'm gonna paint my fucking nails. <laughs> like fuck it, I'm gonna paint my nails, and I'm still gonna rap with gangsters. <laughs> like that's the cool shit, man. That's a cool, exciting time to me. I don't know how you could look at that and not be excited, right? Even if no, you don't like, no, even if you're right. not fucking with Young Thug, you're right. I mean, the only thing that that right now I think is is daunting or feels uh, sort of scary or, or anxiety-inducing for me, especially as a musician, 
is is just the sheer amount of shit coming out now yeah. that just makes it feel like an uphill battle to be heard by anybody. But both good shit and bad shit, just the quantity of music. Just the yeah. quantity yeah. is yep. just so much out there yep. that you you know you feel like you really are just dropping a penny in the ocean, you know? For sure, and it's um, a lot more pressure to make a, a hit. Yeah. Because you're, by having, it used to be like just by having a record company that would put out a thing, it made you special. Right. And you're not special. That's right. Well, none of us are beautiful Nobody's snowflakes. Yeah. Sometimes it makes more sense to not have a label at all. It, you know what I mean? Most of the time Nowadays, it makes more sense. What the yeah. fuck is a label? But for know. real, though, Simon. Um, hey, Simon, top For real, Simon, get at me, Kendrick. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, none of us are special anymore because a kid with a laptop and a SoundCloud page, like Spooky Black from Minneapolis, who's 16 years old, put out, just made some music with a bunch of 16 and 20-year-old kids in Minneapolis and is like... And those lines are blurring too. What's interesting, like like you say, Spooky Black, like Unif is a clothing company based out of LA, yeah. and like they released that Antoine record, and like they brought the standard to LA, and it's like, wow, man, clothing companies surf like Volcom, right. you know, not even rap, but like a couple years ago in Miami, Volcom released this Torch record, yeah. this like stoner metal record, and it's like, what is? I like how the lines are also blending between like what is a record label and like who can push and. But it's also kind of weird because I mean, very just weird. Bring in the negative portion of that you have like why you gotta bring in the negative red portion, bull and right? mountain dew and you know it's like how, yeah what's that all about but at you know the same I mean? time like there's actually saw i'm it. not saying that's bad necessarily but like i saw lp put a tweet out the other day and it was something along the lines of like to be honest like a an energy drink is doing more for artists than a record label ever has. Look, that's yeah. the thing. Those the red the Red Bull Studios, that shit is dope. And yeah, the Red Bull Music Academy, yeah, and the like Red rubber Bull. tracks and all yeah. that. And like, yeah, you can't hate. Like can't when, hate. when when Saul Williams, when they licensed a, an old song of his for a Nike commercial, and he caught all this flack. Like I'm on his email list, so like he wrote the most beautiful slash scathing letter to his fans and essentially he was like fuck you guys like I just released a free record with Trent Reznor and you didn't even donate enough money for me to release the vinyl and you're gonna get mad that I took a hundred G's from Nike and he was like in all honesty do you think my music is gonna help them sell more Nikes right. or do you think that commercial is gonna help me make more music right. man? Oh, like what do you want from me right. and like the way he put it was just so like poignant you know yeah, and, yeah I mean you we we and he comes from the same school that we do, maybe a little earlier, but, Way but early, like yeah, a little earlier, yeah. But but like so well, he has that upon. he has that same same mentality where that is frowned upon to, Absolutely. to do that. I mean, I thought when I started making music, I would never, never. you know, com- do anything for a commercial or anything I, in a heartbeat. Now right I'm now, I'm praying on rain every day, man. And, and I've seen waiting. close, I've seen close homies of mine turn down shit. Yeah. When they couldn't pay their bills that month and be like, I'm not doing that Sprite commercial. Right. right. You know, and like two years Definitely. later, he's like, I'm a fucking dumbass. Yeah. I mean, me too. You know, there was a point in my career where Slip and Slide was courting me. And I was, I literally passed up the meeting. And my brother. But that's so dope. Why my brother wanted that? to slap the shit out of me because I wanted right Mush to court me. You know, like, <laughs> and, and, I, and what, you know, I was like, I want Anticon to court me. I don't yeah. want Slip and Slide. Fuck Slip and Slide. You know, but shit. <laughs> trick, you still out there, dog? Yeah, I'm down with Luke's son. Free you know? trick. Free be, trick. Free trick. You know, free, free shmurda. Free body You know, while we on it, free shmurda right now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, there was a point in my life where I was like, I will never fucking do that shit. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, I check my email every 10 minutes. Be like, the homie gonna call me back? You know? Yeah, that's yeah. Like, waiting on that. They're gonna come through, you know? Don't go chasing waterfalls, but, you know, I'll get wet in but one. But chase for the real. slipper slide. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll chase the slip and slide I'll down the hill. I'll get wet in one for slip and slide. <laughs> God damn it. 
country. Well, that's good. That's good. Look, I don't know how we can top that one. I think, I think that's about good to, to sign off. And unless yeah. you guys have anything else you need to talk about, burdenly, urgently. Not a, oh, not a damn man. Thing. Just happy, happy to be on here. Oh, man. man. It, love, it's been great. What you're doing, man. It's been great talking to both of you. It's been great hanging with both of you guys. Yeah. I've been here in, uh, in this Jeep Compass, uh, right? Yes, Jeep Compass. Yeah. Jeep Compass on 30s. <laughs> with with Andy Bothwell and Jacques Bruna. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yama. Yama. And uh, we're on our way to Orlando. We'll see you there. Bra- Not there. Bra- somewhere. Online. Say bye Online. to the people. Sad boys. Bye, people. 2001. Free Trick Daddy. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, that was a good one. It was a good talk. I want. I would live back in that talk. I would live in that in that jeep, there in that conversation for a while. <sighs> With the sun coming in. Oh, glory be. Ah, <sighs> Florida. Okay, so uh, yeah, you know the deal. The Wandering Wolf Podcast dot com. Get your donate to the thing on there. They got the button on there to get get buy yourself a shirt, get some music, support. Um, no shows coming up. I got nothing. I got nothing coming up. I'm 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 getting ready to uh, to dig in. I mean, I I'd love to do shows. If you got something for me for a solo show or something, you could fly me out. Go ahead, do it. Find me. Um. But yeah, I'm getting ready to dig in and recording some music. And hopefully uh, get into a nice routine. I'll find my way in. I'll find my way in. I'm just going to take it easy. Take life easy as it comes one day at a time, as they say. Northside North side is pretty beautiful right now, actually, with the sun coming in. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. There's a cat in the window. That's nice. That's nice. All right, you guys, have a great week. I'll see you next week. Keep wandering. Say hello.
crumble walls and rebuild nights as a four-letter word but when you can't describe how bored you are dangerous attractive i could fuck you through the mattress and set the bunk aflame with my hands on your throat if you trusted me be mindful not to throw the important words away at me Unsullied, let's slip We'll never know each other's pure voice You spoke of Jamaican Kincaid's description of a sunset Couldn't understand why I want to be O-N-N-E-G-U-T across my stomach and O-E I secretly spiced the vegetables while you were busy kicking the cat out the kitchen We drank coffee and wine on the floor and I'm trying to small for our fingers I like the small things too Always starts out that way until we start expecting respect as if it's a human emotion there was no deja vu, only signs pointing in every other direction I admitted my rookie mistake, yet still left a CD standing naked in your room when you left My heart wanted you to throw it away, and part of me wanted to break in and take it all back With your head on my chest, lying to each other, forgetting why we fall, why we try. Blocking out the sun to be alone with you in the moment. Your bedroom glows green in the morning, and mine illuminates your beautiful skin so I can stare. Stretch like a drum over your confident, angelic frame. Your swagger is intoxicating. I forcefully push you from my thoughts as to not dilute my passion. I would only cry to remember what the tears taste like. To end before we truly begin would be a crime you could live with for now. And I could only pretend to forget your smile and the feelings that come attached. And following you through the city on a bicycle was a dream worth having. But I will not give this one to you. Fuck it, man. Oh, sorry, I have a rabid dog and bed bugs. You guys can, like, sleep in the yard, but the raccoons are going to rape you.